Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Robbie Straczynski, and thanks so much for joining us on episode number 46 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. Today's guest is one of poker's premier broadcasters and commentators. Over the past few years since breaking into the industry, this man has quickly carved out quite the niche for himself as an integral part of numerous popular televised poker shows and live streams. From Twitch commentary to the Poker Go, Break Desk, to game show hosting and podcasting, this guy is one of the hardest working people in our industry. Jeff Platt, welcome to the Card Chat Podcast. Ravi, always a treat to chat with you, to connect with the Cards Chat community. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's good to see you and good to speak with you again. This is this is going to be a lot of fun, and we're going to start off on, on a really good positive note. One of the many things I love about you, Jeff, uh, and it's the truth, is your absolute passion for what you do, broadcasting and poker. So let's start out by diving just a little bit deeper there. I know that you always really wanted to be a broadcaster, even back when you were a kid in Texas. So mm -hmm. what is the profession's attraction to you? Well, you use that word passion and I just fell in love with with telling stories. So I, I went to school to, to study broadcast journalism and to get better at, at that very thing. I worked in sports broadcasting, Robbie, for a good 10 years or so and thoroughly enjoyed not only the telling of those stories, but, but getting to know people and, and doing it on a scale in which an, an audience can respond to these kinds of stories. And, and I figure, and I keep going back to that word passion, if I'm, if I'm passionate about sports broadcasting and I'm passionate about poker, why don't we, we merge those two passions? And it may sound kind of corny, but the, I've kind of fallen into this, this dream spot, this dream job that I'm very fortunate to have. For sure. Well, you mentioned that you went to school for it. You're broadcasting at USC, uh, go Trojans, right? So I'm, Yes, sir. Fight on. Yeah. I'm wondering why did you choose USC and not something closer to home in Texas? Sure. It, it's a great question. And I, I pretty much had it narrowed down to two spots, to USC and to Syracuse. So I'm doing my school visits. I go to USC. I mean, you know, LA, it's just gorgeous. It's Southern California. Any time of the year, it's 75 and sunny. I really enjoyed the campus. I really enjoyed getting to know some of the, the professors and, and students there. And then had the Syracuse visit, got off the plane. It was snowing. I'm like, you know what? I'm good. I think my decision has been made. Uh, so it was a very uh, a surface level decision, but I'm so glad I made it because I loved every minute at, okay. US, at that, USC. That's totally fair. Well, you said you, know, you fell in love with it. So clearly you must have had some inspirations. You know, obviously there's tons of, you know, let's go ahead and name drop a little bit. Who would be the broadcasting inspirations who, when you watched them on TV or you listened to them on the radio, you said like, I want to do that someday. Yeah, yeah, great question. I, I mean, I think growing up when you're a diehard sports fan, like I was, and also when you realize you have no uh, ability to perform on the field or on the court or whatever um, expression that you want to use, you find yourself kind of falling in love with these sports broadcasts. Like maybe mm -hmm. I could be a part of it this way. And so I think I think every TNT or ESPN game you watch, you're kind of focused on on the broadcasting element of it. And so for me, I was always drawn to to the studio hosts, like the, the Ernie Johnsons of the world on TNT, the, you know, the late Stuart Scott on ESPN, all of the sports center hosts, the Scott Van Pelts of the world. Um, and, and so I think those names really stand out to me, people who uh, deliver passion, but, but they aren't 
they aren't over the top, you know, mm-hmm. and they just they just kind of keep the show running. They keep the show running. It's not about them. And they realize that a lot of broadcasters today and credit to them. It's their stick and it works. The show is about them and it's about their, their hot takes and, and their opinions. And I just wanted to kind of set the scene, drive the action. So those things that I mentioned are, are certainly the ones uh, that I looked up to in the sports broadcasting world. I like it. Well, the way you described it is certainly how I feel when I watch your work. Uh, I'm not just being facetious, but you're, you're, you're true to your word. That's certainly the model that you have emulated. That's from what I see. So that's good stuff. Um, back to school. I mean, it's it's said that there's sometimes a little bit of a disconnect between academic learning and sort of like actual practice in the field. So I'm wondering, like, to what extent do you feel like it's specifically what you studied in the classroom that equipped you better for being a broadcaster as opposed to, you know, when you first held the mic in your hand or, you know, when you first did the red light go on? Yeah, I I think what USC was so good with was that um, making the skills that you learn in the classroom transferable to when that that red light comes on on camera and teaching you, you know, how to present yourself, how to speak in a perhaps more articulate way, but not what would be like an over-the-top, arrogant, oh, look at me, I'm so smart way to, to the viewers. Now, granted, there were plenty of classes, Robbie, that I took in college that I didn't take one thing from, that they're like, well, you know, if you want to be in broadcast journalism, we're going to make you take the print journalism class. I'm like, right. do I really have to write about, you know, what the city council is doing in this meeting for this print journalism class? The answer was yes, but but I will say, looking back on those classes that I, I thought were a complete waste of time, when you become a better writer, I think you naturally become a better broadcaster. So there are skills that translate in between the print slash online journalism world and the broadcast journalism world. And I think that that has helped me out significantly. Now, as far as elective courses are concerned, you know, at USAI, who cares? You take like a mythology class just to get the credits. I took a, a, a TV class because all it was was watching an episode of a brand new TV show. And then, you know, some executive from some network would come talk to you. I'm like, this class will be a breeze. It'll be amazing. Almost failed that class and almost didn't graduate, you know, because of that one TV class. That's a story for another day. But uh, I think overall, what I was able to learn in the classroom was easily transferable to what I, what I was able to do uh, out in the field in broadcasting. Interesting. Oh, is there like maybe a specific lesson or like a quote from a professor or something like that that still sticks out to you that every so often, you know, after you, you know, the light goes off, we're, oh, thank goodness. And you know, I remember that, you know, from back in the school days. Yeah, I, I remember a couple of professors kept harping on the fact to to just keep it simple and keep it conversational. Mm. And that one word conversational just stands out in my mind every time when we're hosting a break desk segment at the Poker Go studio, um, when I'm play by play in, you know, in the booth with Brent Hanks, when I'm sideline reporting and, and doing a stand up about, you know, somebody's poker career, I just want to keep it conversational. Just like you and I are talking right now, Robbie, that's how I want to talk to, our viewers. And I don't want to be, you know, Mr. Broadcasting guy and be super scripted and use all of these big words, mainly because I don't know too, too many big words. Uh, and, and I just I just want to keep the audience engaged like, hey, it seems like this guy's just talking to me. So I, I think keeping your script writing conversational is the the number one lesson that, that I take from all of this. It's nice. Cool. And I'm sure that helps, you know, when the answer is sports cards or something. Of that <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. That, that that certainly helps. Uh, I actually I don't think there's any training for when you ask somebody a poker player and they're like, you know what, sports cards, right? Oh, 
Okay. All right. Thank you very much, Jared Blesnick. Thank you. Well, you started your sports broadcasting career in the massive market of Jackson, Mississippi. How did you end up there? And what were you doing in, uh, you know, that down near near Tupelo and Biloxi and all those great places? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's certainly a good question. Uh, so I just that was how the business worked back in the day. I graduated college in 2008 and you send off your resume reel to every single small market that had a job opening. So all of these small cities across the country. And I was, quote unquote, fortunate to have found a job in, in Jackson, Mississippi, which is a first job that I was really proud of. Is market 90 is like, oh, top 100 market. Look at me. I'm a big shot. Wasn't a big shot at all uh, by any means. It was it was a great experience. You know, you, you almost want to go to a small market to to get your mistakes out of the way, right? And, and to just hone your craft and to become a, a better and better and better broadcaster. So I'm thrilled looking back at my two years there because of the experience. Would I go back for that job? No, no, I would not. But I'm happy uh, that I had that opportunity there in Jackson. And I think it was a, I think it was a solid start to my broadcasting career. Sure. And, and, you know, folks, you know, I'm sure we've got a lot of listeners in Jackson or other cities in Mississippi, so I'm not knocking it. But, you know, it's always interesting to look back at, you know, the roots, the humble beginnings. Yeah, uh, and, and I do always say, and not just saying this for those listeners in Jackson, Mississippi, but Mississippi had some of the nicest people that I ran into. Was it the most exciting city in the world? Absolutely not. But but the people there were just so kind and were so genuine. And that's something that that I take away from my time in Jackson. Beautiful. And what were you doing there? I was doing sports anchoring and reporting for the CBS affiliate there. So if you would turn on the 10 o'clock news, like, now it's time for sports. Here's Jeff Platt. I'm like, hey, you know, the uh, Mississippi Braves and double A baseball beat this other team. And I'm sure you care. And, you know, wow. so on and so forth. Interesting. Did you actually go out to those games and like, yeah, yeah, covered a lot. And that's also where you get better. You know, the more players you interview, the more coaches you interview, you're just naturally going to become a, a a better interviewer. So I was out on the town and going to big time college football games. Again, I keep going back, keep harping on experience. And I think it was valuable what I learned there. Excellent. Very cool. Well, you know, after that, uh, you kind of you hit the big time, so to speak, working with the San Antonio Spurs organization. Um, what are some of your highlights of your time there? And please keep in mind that Greg Popovich is a huge fan of the Cards Chat I'm podcast. Sure Pop, I'm sure Pop is listening to this. Uh, he, he would love some of the stories that that I had to share. So I moved to San Antonio as a, a sports reporter for, for one of the stations there. And 90% of the job is, of course, covering the San Antonio Spurs, which is mm-hmm. perfect for me. I'd mentioned earlier, absolute diehard mm-hmm. NBA fan. Like, this is great. All I have to do is just follow around the Spurs and talk to players and talk right. to coaches. This is fantastic. What could go wrong? Well, those of you listening who know the NBA know that uh, Greg Popovich can be a little bit a little bit short, a little bit grumpy, prickly at times towards reporters. I thought, you know what? No problem. So first couple games I'm there in San Antonio, I'm just getting the lay of the land. You know, I'm not going to ask any questions in the press conference. Just going to kind of see how everything flows, how Pop talks with the print reporters, with the TV reporters, et cetera, et cetera. So the first game that I actually wanted to ask a question for pops up. Game ends. Spurs win comfortably. This will be easy. This will be a breeze. Right. Thiago Splitter, a player for the Spurs, had a really good game, a really solid game. 16 points in 18 minutes. What, he was he was fantastic. I said, okay, I'm going to ask Pop about Splitter 
this will be great. Again, what could go wrong? So press conference started. I didn't want to kick things off, you know, listening to a couple back and forths with the reporters and with Pop. He seemed like he was in a pretty decent mood. And he started to talk about this one player, Tiago Splitter's defense. And so I said, okay, now is my chance. This is the opportunity. I'm going to jump in and ask about how he performed on the offensive end. So I'm holding this big boom mic. I'm shaking. Like I'm just absolutely terrified to ask Greg Popovich a question. Maybe the most intimidating man in all of sports. So Pop wow. wraps up whatever he had to say. I say, well, you know, what made him so efficient on the offensive end tonight? Referring to Splitter. So that's a fair question. You know, he had, he had 16 points in, in 18 minutes. And I'm thinking in the back of my head, nailed it. Got it. This is great. And so I'm standing there and Pop just stares at me just dead on for five seconds, which is a long time when you're standing in a room with 20 reporters sure. and a National Basketball Association head coach. He just kind of goes, I, I, I don't know how to answer that. And just immediately turns around and walks away. And the press conference is over on my accord. That was my first experience with Greg Popovich. Things did get a little bit better, Robbie, throughout the next couple of years. But I'm always reminded of that moment where I was certainly humbled by the great Greg Popovich. Wow. Okay. Wow. I, I, like we're, I thought we're, we can go so many different directions right, from right. there. I'm wondering about uh, any of the players. Were you able to develop a little bit of a relationship? I know like you, know, you look at the typical Ahmad Rashad, Michael Jordan dynamic. Sure. And not, not typical. That's like, you know, what any reporter would potentially aspire to. And obviously they became genuine friends. Did you ever manage to develop a little bit of a rapport with some of the players? Unfortunately, the Spurs are just notorious for the way they almost cut off access between wow. media and players. I know in, in so many different cities that, you know, media appearances are, are welcomed and, and more time is given to chat with players. This was pretty standard, pretty status quo. Like, hey, we're going to make Tim Duncan available for three and a half minutes after mm. the game. Better get in those questions there. We aren't going to make him available for one-on-ones unless you're ESPN. So right. did I get to chat with the Tim Duncans, Monty Ginobili's, Tony Parkers of the world? Absolutely. Did I get to develop relationships with them? No, not really. I mean, they didn't know me from, from any other reporter. I think that is very valuable in the sports reporting field to develop those kinds of relationships with players. It just didn't really happen in San Antonio. It happened with a couple of the, the newspaper writers who were around the team literally every minute of every day. But it, it, I think it was... Uh, too tough to crack for a, mm. for a TV reporter. Interesting. Well, the reason I asked that is, you know, we do see that a little bit in the poker world, you know, which is obviously yeah. a lot smaller than the basketball world, but it does help, you know, if you're just around enough, uh, you know, you get to really, you know, no, not just, you know, the players by name, but they begin knowing you by name and you get a little bit of extra access. Uh, I'm sure you have seen that happen in the poker realm. Yeah, no question about it. And I think when you gain that kind of access, when you become friends or at least friendly with a lot of the different poker players, uh, that's going to work in two different ways. Number one, it's it's naturally going to be a better interview, right? right. Like Robbie, you and I are talking right now. It's a better interview than it had we you know just met and all of a sudden you took out your phone to record an interview because we just we know each other and, right. and we just so happen to get along really well. So if I know somebody and we get along well and we're on camera, perhaps they'll feel more comfortable with me and they'll share a little bit more. And that's the goal as far as good interviews are concerned. Mm -hmm. Number two, I'm going to learn more about them. I'm gonna learn more about them than what is in their, their standard bio sheet than what I can look up online. And that will make me a better broadcaster because I can inform the viewers in a better way. So developing relationships, I think from a broadcasting standpoint uh, is, is absolutely crucial to the, to the profession. 
I love it. No, great, great answer there. Great response. Um, well, before we shift officially to the poker part uh, of the interview, I'm obliged to let everyone know, everyone who's listening and, and watching, that I'm speaking with a quote-unquote choir boy. <laughs> Jeff, could you please enlighten us as to what that means? That was good. That's good research. I mean, that's that's why Robbie Straczynski is the host here, because he dives deep. He's in the lab researching choir. Okay, let's see. Sixth grade, seventh grade, they say, you know what? It's either choir or it's band or it's orchestra. Instruments, not going to be my thing. Mm -hmm. I'll jump in choir. It'll be great. You know, I'll just sit there. It'll be totally fine. Now, this sounds really weird, but I credit that choice for my broadcasting career because fast forward a couple of years, we get into high school, senior high school, um, ninth, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. I'm in this show choir slash pop choir group. And I would be the guy who would welcome the audience to the show. So I would get out there on stage. I'd have the microphone. Hey, everybody, welcome to the blah, 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 blah. And I would introduce the next song and I would introduce this next soloist. And I would chat with the crowd a little bit. And I just think that made me really comfortable mm. with a microphone in my hand and led me to think, hey, could I do this with something that I, I'm really actively interested in like sports or eventually down the road like poker. And so wow. that that choir decision led me to just become more comfortable with everything going on and in, in putting yourself out there. And I kind of think that led me to where I am now, as weird as that sounds. Very cool. I like it. Do you still sing? You like you enjoy karaoke? Oh no. no. Oh well yeah karaoke, you know, you get out there, Robbie, one or two songs every couple months. Uh, do I still have that in me? Yeah, but uh, singing in the shower like everybody else? Sure, on occasion. But other than that, I think uh, my career has passed me by. Okay, that, that is fair. Okay, good. Well, now we got that out of the way. Let's talk a little bit more in depth about poker. Um, you first burst onto the scene, to the best of my knowledge, not as a commentator, but as a player. You had two deep WSOP main event runs, day five for 203rd place in 2014, and day six for 60th place in 2015, the latter of which saw you on camera with Kara Scott. So first off, shout out to Kara, episode yeah. number 21 of the Cards Chat podcast. Go back and listen to that one after this one, guys. Um, Jeff, it's been a few years, but can you reflect on that first on-camera moment uh, you know, during that, the latter of those two deep runs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Kara Scott, we all know this, it's an icon and it is impossible to fill her shoes like I had to for this makeshift main event last year, as far as sideline reporting is concerned. I had talked to Kara a little bit here and there off camera, I believe in 2014 in those that first run that you mentioned. So I barely sort of kind of newer, but I had always watched her on camera and always just been so impressed by her ability. So uh, in 2015, when I was eliminated, when, when she brought me on for the interview, she just did, and this goes back to what we discussed earlier, she just made me feel so comfortable, right? And so it's like, it's like the cameras weren't even really there. Now, in my mind, this was back before they were airing the main event live. So in my mind, I'd done some previous interviews for ESPN. You know, they don't use everything that they stockpile. And I, I was at feature tables. So it, I'm thinking like, I've already been on TV for like three straight days. And then here's the interview. You know, the edited version always, of course, works out uh, a little differently. And, and I still remind executive producer Dan Gaudio that like, 
you guys couldn't put me in for more than one minute, you know? I mean, like I'm around for six days in this tournament. I think I'm an okay character to display on camera. And so I said, no, just really just your bust out hand in uh, an interview with Kara. So I look back very fondly on that entire main event experience, but yeah, especially uh, with that interview with Kara. Interesting. Okay. Um, before we get back to that specific interview, cause I have a question about that. Yeah. Um, as far as like your, your skills, what you do work wise as a poker commentator, do you feel that having had those two deep runs as a player gives you any extra special understanding of, of what it's like and influences sort of your work on the other end of the, of the mic? Yeah, it, it, it's a great question. I think just being a poker player overall does help with that. And to try and and when I try to become a better poker player, I think that will naturally translate towards me being a better poker broadcaster. As far as that the main event experiences specifically are concerned, I think that that would help me in the in a main event capacity. Mm-hmm. If I were working the main event as a broadcaster, where those stories would apply a little bit more to knowing what the players go through every single day of the most prestigious poker tournament in the world. Sure. I think it greatly assists me there. As far as other roles are concerned, I I just think, again, it's just being a poker player, trying to get better at poker. That's what will help me in my job. As far as main event is concerned, it would need to be a specific main event related assignment, I believe. Okay. That's a good answer. I didn't mean to sort of project through the question. It was precisely wondering if it all, because I never been, I never made day one of the World Series well, of Poker. Well, that, and, and it's a good question because that tournament is so different. It's, it's so mm. special, right? Because I, I think when you're playing it, you know, Rick Carlisle, coach of the Mavericks, used to say about the NBA playoffs, he said, when you win a game in the playoffs, you're on such a high, you just feel like you're never going to lose a game. Again, when you lose a game, <laughs> you're, just, you're, just, you're just absolutely crushed and you just think you're never going to win again. And at the main event, it's kind of the same thing. When you win a pot, you are on top of the world. I just want a pot at the World Series of Poker main event. This is amazing. What if I win the whole thing? It really could happen. And right. then when you lose a pot, you're like, oh my God, this is devastating. Like I'm just, I'm just going to bust in the World Series of Poker main event. My hopes and my dreams shattered. So to have that kind of experience, uh, I, I think is is valuable if I ever get the opportunity one day to do a little main event broadcasting. Okay, well, totally fair. All right, so back to that that bust out interview uh, that yeah. you did with Kara. Um, I noticed even back then, you know, so six years ago, you were sharply dressed in a bra- <laughs> in a blazer, but you were a player. You weren't <laughs> like the, right. the you weren't the talent. You were playing in the main event. I mean, I personally think that that adds a very nice measure of class to our game. So first off, have you always sort of dressed up in that way when you're playing big events? So I I thought when I played my first WSOP event, I said, you know, day one, be super chill, be casual, whatever. Day two though, gonna dress up a little bit. This is just my way of showing some respect to the World Series of Poker and, and what it has to offer. And I do think, like you said, you know, it represents a little bit of class. And I think it comes across really well on television where people are watching, oh, these men, women are a little bit more dressed up for this. It must be something special. And I think the World Series of Poker is something special. And I used to uh, I used to dress up for every day two that I made, you know, across the country, which is not not that many day twos, like no matter where I was. And now I kind of I kind of reserve that for 
for the more special opportunities. And the World Series of Poker is certainly one, especially the World Series of Poker main event. So that was always important to me to, to just dress up a little bit. Uh, again, my personal way of showing a little bit more respect to the World Series. And if I ever, ever, ever make the final couple days, Robbie, then we'll go full suit. Then the, the, the shirt, the tie, the jacket, the pants, we'll be good to go. You heard it here first. All right. Do you kind of hope, I mean, again, because you're around it so much and you see, you know, everything from the the recreational one, two cash games going on in all the casinos to the highest of high rollers in the Poker Go studio and elsewhere around the world. Do you, would you like ideally, you know, for at least in the high roller scene to have a little bit more of that Monte Carlo classy kind of feel with everyone dressing up? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I would personally, like if you, if you just asked me, Jeff, you, and when you're a viewer or a broadcaster, would you like it to be more like this? I would say yes. But with that said, you know, I still want the players to do whatever they're comfortable mm. with. I, you know, I don't want to make them feel so out of their element to feel so uncomfortable at a final table. Now, there are, there are very small, not so restrictive rules in place as far as dress code is concerned, especially at our Poker Go events, which I, I do think helps. Super high roller bowls, I think the players treat that like a special occasion and do get a little bit more dressed up than they normally would. And I've always uh, appreciated that when we see that from our players. So it's, it's you know, I, I'd love to balance that out. Like, would I like to see players dressed up a little bit more on occasion? Sure, I think that comes across really well, present this whole Monte Carlo theme, right. like you said. But also, I just want the players to, to feel comfortable you know this this can be uh troublesome enough to some personalities Mm -hmm. to be sitting there on camera under the lights you know it's not what they're used to it's not necessarily what they signed up for but it's it's a part of it all so if they can remain comfortable and we can maybe class it up a little bit on occasion i think that's the perfect balance for me got it or maybe they should all rock the Bryn kenny kimono look or that, yeah, that's that's badass in its own way. That's that's <laughs> totally fine with me. If everybody wants to go bring Kenny mode, that's totally cool. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, um, Jeff, you've recorded close to $300,000 in live poker tournament earnings since your first result back in 2008. Thank you, Hendon Mob, for those results. <laughs> that's not too shabby, man, especially for a recreational player. How often do you carve out time to play tournaments and how do you decide which events you want to jump into? You, good question. I, I'm mainly looking at my work schedule first. And hmm. so I lay out the entire work schedule and then I say, okay, there are some open dates here. There are some open dates there. What can we fire? But I, I'm always interested in firing poker tournaments because I, I do, We go, I go back to that word that we used at the beginning, passion. And I certainly have a passion for, for playing poker. So as far as World Series of Poker is concerned, get my work schedule. First of all, that is most important. I would work every day, Robbie, if they would have me at the World Series, because that's just what I love. You know, that's the pinnacle of this business. If you're in the poker broadcasting business, you probably want to work at the World Series of Poker. So as much sideline reporting as I can do, much play-by-play as I can do this year, boom, I'm set. But outside of that, if I could fire, you know, five or six events, if the schedule allows, that's fantastic. I'm always trying to get a little bit better at poker I'm always studying because, as we mentioned earlier, not only helps me become a better poker player, but a better broadcaster as well. But I'm also playing just for the fun of it because I love it, because I absolutely love it. So if I have a weekend off and I can go play at the Venetian or the Wynn, 
uh, it's it's fantastic and it's an opportunity that I'm I'm going to take advantage of. Okay. Well, you said you're studying. This is a question I didn't prepare, but you know, a recreational player. You know, that's yeah. pretty much our audience here in the Cards Chat community. I'm curious, what uh, resources do you personally find useful study-wise? Sure. I, I mean. First of all, before I get into specifics, let me say that I think there are just so many great resources out there right now, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you could Google poker coaching or poker training or poker studying, and you would have 20 to 25 legitimate options, 20 to 25 options that are very good. So I just kind of, you know, pick and choose what works best for me. Mm -hmm. For me personally, it's been a combination of Solve for Why, the Matt Berkey led, you know, online academy, uh, Learn Pro Poker. That's Ryan LaPlante. Yeah. And I just got into this GTO trainer. I'm not too familiar with it. Uh, Robbie, I, I hate to break it to you. I don't have Pio Solver on my computer. So I'm not <laughs> going to be running Sims myself on this super computer that I have. But but this GTO trainer says, hey, here's what you could have. Here's what the other guy could have. Here's what the flop is. Let us run the, the Pio Sims for you. And here are the results. So as I've taken poker more seriously, really more specifically over these last couple months, I've started to use that. I just want to balance a a GTO baseline, just okay, kind of, sort of know the way to go with a way that I could perhaps exploit opponents. And I think that, that that combination does it for me. And also a lot of this training is more geared towards, okay, I could be a better play-by-play -play guy in these high roller events. Mm. If I could set Brent Hanks up with this, oh, kind of a blocker bet here on the turn, that that makes a, a little bit more sense. Mm. You know, So I, I think the analysts that I work with would appreciate me having a little bit better uh, nice. baseline GTO knowledge. In these, so in like a double events. dip of sorts exactly. in, the, in the training. And of course, exactly. you, know, you, gave, you gave the shout outs uh, to Matt Berkey, Ryan LaPlante. Both of them have been guests here on the Cards Chat podcast. Matt Berkey, episode 29. Ryan LaPlante, who's also a Cards Chat ambassador, folks. Mm -hmm. He was episode number 33. So go back, listen to those. We've got dozens of great podcasts you can listen to as soon as this one is over, guys. Um, Besides tournaments, do you ever dabble at all in the cash game scene? I'll, I'll get real into cash games for like two weeks out of the year. So uh -huh. I'll be, I'm like, okay, okay. Every night, you know, I'm, I'm going to the win or the Red Rock and, and just having a glass of wine, playing cash games and, and just trying to uh, enjoy it. You know, okay. once, once COVID hit mm. and our live poker came back, but was restricted, I didn't enjoy the cash games as much. You know, we were wearing the masks. We had plexiglass up. I, I I look at cash games personally as just a much more social atmosphere, which is awesome, which is great. We can just sit back, play some cards, enjoy each other's company, perhaps win some money. But once the social element got taken out of the cash games, then I kind of left it for a little bit. But I'll dive back in here and there, and, I, and I'll play some mixed games here and there with some friends here in Vegas because I know that they just – they just want to take my money because I don't know how to play any of the mixed games, but I, I afford them that opportunity because it is so much fun to play cash here and there. Excellent. So like if you were at the cash game tables, Robbie, I know you enjoy a little bit of cash here and there. I would come, I would come play. I would come hang because it, it would just be fun. I like it. Very cool. I'll, I'll, I'll hold you to that come world series time. Hopefully when I'm back in town cool. in Las Vegas, um, some of the, one of the questions we really always love to ask all of our guests here at the Cards Chat podcast, who is the friendliest player you've ever competed against at the poker table? It's a good question. I think, and let me tell you that I'm biased here, of course, but when I was first introduced to Maria Ho, mm. it was 2014. It was one of those World Series of Poker main event runs that you mentioned she was moved to my table and she immediately introduced herself to everybody. She wow. immediately started talking with everybody. 
And she was just so kind. And this wasn't an act for the cameras. The right. cameras weren't even there. Now, once they found out Maria was there, then the cameras flocked to the table, of course. But that <laughs> has always made such an impression for me that she was just so outgoing, so nice, so friendly at the table, especially when, and this is key. And Robbie, I'm sure you know about this. When somebody has a lot of chips, it's kind of easy for them to be friendly when they're in a good mood, when everything's going really, really well. Most of the time they're going to be nice. They're going to be friendly. A lot of those people though, when they don't have that many chips, kind of rude, not as friendly, more standoffish. The people I cherish the most in poker are the ones who can act the same way, whether Mm. they have all the chips or whether they have no chips. And I think Maria is a lot like that. I think Brent Hanks is a lot like that. Let's see, as far as others are concerned, I think Chrissy B, same kind of experience with her. She's uh, fantastic and very uh, uh, very welcoming to, sure. to new players. And so those names certainly stand out in my mind as, as far as the friendliest poker players are concerned. Sure. And I know you're not a, a Helmuth-like name dropper, but again, you mentioned Maria, episode 22. You mentioned Chrissy go. B, episode 37. We're just going to we go. fire them all. It's not, like you, this. It's, it's, not, it's not like you have a list in front of you, but, you know, guys, <laughs> we got we had lots of great Checking people on this show. So uh, go back and listen to those. Um, Jeff, I, I couldn't discover, with my research, I couldn't discover what your total online poker tournament earnings are. So before I continue, want to clue us in? Do you happen to know? Uh, I, I wouldn't know now... I would guess it's Give or take. Or around 100K or something okay. like that. It's not significant. Now, my excuse will be I don't play online that much, but that's just an excuse. Even if I played online a bunch, I don't think it, it would be uh, that much higher than that. But uh, oh. that, that would be that would be my my ballpark guess. OK, well, you're, you're saying K instead of 100,000. So, you know, yeah. you're pretty yeah. ballpark. True pro. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I know even recently you've you know experienced a decent amount of success. Again, a hundred thousand dollars is nothing to sneeze at. Um, and plus, you've often taken us along for the ride as well via your Twitch stream. Um, you know, when you do choose to play online, what do you enjoy most about it? I enjoy connecting with the people. I just I just like talking with members of the poker audience. This is such a passionate fan base, community, whatever word you want to use for it. And I just love the interactive platform that Twitch provides. This really started, Robbie, last year, event number one of the World Series of Poker online, of course. I busted early. I'm sitting on my couch and I see that Phil Helmuth is running deep in this World Series of Poker event. And I knew that unless you were in Nevada or unless you were in New Jersey, that you could not pull up Helmuth's table specifically. So I thought, why not offer coverage to people outside of those states who could follow along with the 15-time World Series of Poker bracelet winner? And it just kind of took off from there. So for me, what I enjoy the most about Twitch is our, you know, quote-unquote sweat streams where I can do mm. featured table coverage, where I can show you when Helmuth is making a run, when Negreanu is making a run, when Maria Ho or Jamie Kerstetter is running deep in a World Series of Poker event, really because I just get on-the-fly input from everybody in the audience, and we just chat. I have a glass of wine. We're using poker as, as the baseline to to interact, and, and that is most certainly what I enjoy the most about Twitch. I like it. And, of course, you know, Phil Helmuth, episode number four. Um, there he is. <laughs> but you did that just 
on a whim for fun. You enjoyed it. And now it's kind of like an official sort of gig for you with Poker News now that you're doing it? It, it kind of is. It's 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 weird how that all developed. But yes, our World Series of Poker coverage on Twitch is presented by the good folks at Poker News as they have the official final table coverage throughout the month for the World Series of Poker Bracelet events. And so what I do, Robbie, I pick it up around around bubble coverage and you know we make the money and we play down to a final table. And again, it's a bit more casual, right? We're just, we're just chilling. We're, we're all talking. Sometimes we don't even talk about poker. It was great. Uh, at the time of recording this, let's see, last night was event number seven. And not only did we have Helmuth and Negranu running deep, but we have Helmuth in the chat, Negranu in the chat. Uh. Jamie Kerstetter was running deep. She's in the chat. Worldwide Wob, who is a big time NBA media, like in influencer type, he was in the chat as well. So I was just sitting back and thinking, you know what? This is pretty cool. This is pretty cool. This is all developed. Uh, over the last couple of years, and, and I'm very fortunate to be a part of it. Amazing. Does it feel different versus last year now that it's kind of like a sort of an official thing that you have to do? No, and, and I thought it would. I thought mm. I really genuinely thought it, w- it would feel different, uh, not just because of that, but also because, you know, the world is kind of open back up. Right. So the poker players, the poker fans, they aren't just relegated to sitting at home and just watching me, right? They have so many more options. And numbers have fallen off a little bit, but just a little bit. And I've been pleasantly surprised at how the stream has has held up and and at how much that I've enjoyed it and how much it just feels like last year. It feels like we just got right back into this groove and it has this sense of familiarity, which I think is a, is a positive one. Awesome. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, thankfully things have come back so much. I'm like, oh, right. Of course, last year we were all home. And I forgot right. where that right. came yeah. from. You That's know? good. Good. Get it out of your mind. Good to repress yeah. that stuff. Um, okay. Well, speaking of poker news, of course, you also co-host the Poker News podcast along with Sarah Herring and Chad Holloway. Folks, after you listen, you know, 46 straight episodes of Cards <laughs> Chat, then you can go and listen to all the great poker news episodes, uh, podcast episodes. I'm a big fan. Um, you know, I love your work and, you know, Sarah, Chad, good stuff. Um, what do you enjoy most about that, that weekly collaboration and, and putting the show together? Well, first, uh, let me say that, that Sarah is awesome. You know, you and I know this and I don't think enough people know it, that Sarah Herring is awesome. She gave me my first opportunity in this poker broadcasting business. I reached out to her a couple months before I knew I was going to move out to Vegas and just give it a shot. I'd been in touch with Poker Go, kind of, sort of, thought maybe there were some opportunities there. And her and I started chatting and, and her and I just just clicked right off the bat. And she said, hey, why don't you jump on this Poker News podcast? Why don't you become a Poker News presenter for the World Series of Poker? So I owe her a ton for just opening the door for me in this industry. Beside that, I, I just love talking poker with her. She presents an entirely different perspective. I mean, you know this, Robbie. She is not afraid to tell you what's on her mind, yep. to say the very least. And she loves ramping up the, the drama. And we have plenty of drama in the poker world. It's not reserved for this podcast, but when Sarah can get a hold of it, she will take it and run with it. And then sure. since we work chatting in the mix, it's just felt so so seamless. And, and the three of us can just chat about poker. We can have a blast for 45 minutes or an hour. And it's like the camera's not even on, the microphone's not even on, mm-hmm. that we're just we're just sitting there having a drink, talking. And I think that's that's what makes the podcast so, so enjoyable for me. Yep. It's just, I'm just talking poker with my friends. That's it. Good stuff. And again, folks, it's a great listen if you aren't already subscribed to that one and this one. 
be sure that you <laughs> that you do. Um, of course, Jeff, your main your main body of work uh, is with the fine folks over at Poker Go. In your Twitter bio, you say you are the and I quote Poker Go break desk host, play by play sideline reporter. That's a lot of roles to play and a lot of hats to wear. Can you kind of break it down for us? What exactly you do with them? Basically, whenever Ali Najad's not available, I just jump in. <laughs> no, I, I do, I do, I do a little bit, I, a little bit of everything. So uh, I think the Poker Go Cup, which is going on at the time that we're recording this podcast, I think that that rep- represents uh, what I do. So you know, I'll go in, and Brent Hanks and I, along with our producer Zach Ralston, will prep a break desk segment. So we'll take you inside the studio and. It's a pregame show of sorts. We'll just set the scene for this final table, what we're looking out for, what some of the big storylines for the Poker Go Cup uh, are as, as far as the entire series is concerned. Boom, we finish pregame at the break desk in the studio, and then we go in the commentary booth. And there is where I will do play-by-play for some of our high roller events alongside Brent Hanks as the analyst. And right. once we get into the higher buy-in levels for this series, my role will shift. So I'll still be doing the break desk hosting. I'll still be in the studio going over the big time storylines, reviewing key hands. But while Ali does play by play, I will jump in as a sideline reporter and I will start to interview you know, players who have busted out. We'll do a winner's interview and second place interview. And that just kind of proves the, the variety of roles that I have all within one series. And I just absolutely love it. I consider myself you know, so fortunate that I have that as, as quote unquote, work so it's sideline mm-hmm. reporter it's studio host it, it's play-by-play and it, it's all merged into into one series which which is pretty cool awesome and you know, one thing you didn't even mention so i'll cue it up for you you also co-host the no gamble no future yes. podcast with brent hanks it's kind of like a new concept in poker because it also crosses into the sports sports betting realm so tell us a little bit about that show yeah, that's what we wanted to do. And credit to to Brent for this idea and to our producer, John Bovenizer, for pull, pulling this off. We just thought there was an open space for a sports betting slash poker podcast. Mm. I mean, by now, Robbie, there are probably, you know, 5,000 sports betting podcasts on the map. So if we just came out and we were like, hey, sports betting, listen to us, you know, that, that pitch wouldn't really work in today's climate. But we know that there's there's a crossover audience between people who play poker who sports bet, who play daily fantasy sports, who play regular fantasy sports and who are just, you know, casual or serious sports fans. So we thought that if we could have a podcast, if we could develop a podcast that could preach to that audience, then that could be something that would work. Now, we have a lot of work to do on that show as far as improving it, as far as, you know, what avenues to explore, to draw in more of an audience. But I I think we're kind of sort of on the right track. We've fortunately found a spot as a, high stakes dual hype show of sorts. So we uh, have Phil Helmuth on, we have Daniel Negreanu on, we have Nick Wright on, who is uh, Phil Helmuth's next opponent. And I think that's a really good avenue for our show to explore. And I think that's going to help that show moving forward. Nice, very cool. Well, you know, you and Brent, I love Brent, everyone loves Brent Hanks. Uh, you guys have one heck of a rapport. So yeah. I'm kind of wondering, you know, anyone who's seen him on TV or listened to him is just, you know, one of a kind. What's it like working with sort of like the the class clown and, and how do you keep a straight face? You know what? I was talking yesterday with Moria Skandani, the Poker Hall of Famer, the Poker Go president at the Poker Go studio. And he says, what, what do you feel like 
after working with Brent for four or five hours. And I said, Maury, exactly how you think I would feel. That That is how I'd feel after hours. With you know, I am so amazed by the passion that Brent Hanks exhibits for this business and how he can display that passion on a daily basis. And I consider myself just fortunate to be alongside for the ride. I'm also amazed that he still has a job sometimes because he goes, he just goes so far off the rails, but he's, it's such an enjoyable atmosphere mm -hmm. that he creates that I genuinely give him credit for creating. It's just so much fun to go in and work with somebody who is so incredibly passionate about what he is doing. And Brent Hanks loves poker. And he said this before, he is a poker lifer and his just mm. excitement level is through the roof every single day. It's not like he turns the light switch on Robbie for this one right. three minute pregame show that we do. And it's not like he just turns it on for this four hour broadcast we do. This is that guy. He is, right. he's real. That's him. He's so incredibly fired up about poker about it, not just the game, but the industry overall. Uh, my parents met him the other week, the other month, I should say, in Texas. And that's what they said. They're like, this is a guy who's just so excited about the future of the industry. You awesome. know, it's like taking the serious girlfriend to meet the parents. I take the, the <laughs> serious broadcast partner to meet the parents. And it was great. And they absolutely loved it. And and I absolutely loved Brent. And, and don't share too many kind words with him because it'll It'll just get to his head. No problem. But I am going to endeavor to have him on. I don't know what number of the show it's going to be, but hopefully we'll have him here as a future guest on the Cards Chat podcast. Great stuff. Um, Jeff, in the recent past, you co-anchored Friday Night Poker and you hosted The Big Blind, another couple of Poker Go productions. For those who haven't tuned in, like myself, um, there, no, I did tune in though. Uh, there are some, I was like, hold on, shows. Robbie, hold on. Yeah, yeah. I love the big, the big blind in particular. Friday night lights a little tough, you know, Friday night here, sure. it's um, sure. sleeping, whatever, but yeah. Um, those are a couple of great shows. I, I definitely Thank enjoyed you. it. You guys carved out a really great audience and you can still watch the old episodes. They're still available. Mm -hmm. um, for those who don't know about these shows, can you kind of give us the sort of 60 second elevator pitch about each sure. of them? Well, let's start with Friday Night Poker. We wanted to create a show that really was was just fun and relatable. You know, Poker After Dark is awesome. High stakes poker is fantastic. These high roller tournaments are great. For 99.9% .9 of the poker audience, probably a bit hard to relate to playing 100, 200 or 400, 800 like they do on high stakes poker or playing a, a 50K. So what if we have a, a show that's that's like, it's 510. It's right. 510, sure, it's a little high, but it's it's at least somewhat relatable to the casual poker player. And if we can draw in those fans, that's just a whole new section of the poker audience that we're looking for that we are hoping to grow. So that's what we did. It's a 510 cash game. It's Brent Hanks, Amanda Negranu, and I on the call. And it's these recognizable names, so we'll still get the Phil Helmies and the Daniel Negranis of the world. A smaller price point allows us to bring in some more celebrities, okay. the polarizing Randall Emmett, perhaps being one of them. But I foresee in the future of this show, if there is a future, which I think there is a future, uh, I think that we'll see plenty of, of celebrities jump into the mix. And I think when you combine celebrities with superstar poker players, it really did create an, an incredible uh, fan base of sorts. And I also think it has the potential to open up poker to that new audience. You know, we're always looking to bring new people into the game to bring new people to us at Poker Go. And I think that that show was a, was a step in the right direction. 
big blind, completely different. We wanted to create a, a poker game show. Yep. And credit to our producer, our creator, our director, John Bovenizer, second name drop again. Don't tell him too much because that'll get to his head also. And he created this, what I thought was a, a terrific game show of sorts, where you could also bring on the big names, uh, the big time poker players, but also, you know, a couple people from the barstool world, et cetera, et cetera, and have this show that was related to poker and that they were playing poker via a, a trivia contest of sorts. Mm -hmm. So it's like to me, Robbie, if you merged who wants to be a millionaire with a poker game, then, then you would have the big blind. We're taking that traditional game show element and we're merging it with playing poker. And that's what the big blind was. And like you said, all of all episodes are still available on poker. So when do we get to see these shows back on the air? I want more uh, Jeff Glenn. Fantastic question. So Friday night poker, I do think that you will see within the next year or so make okay. its return in some form. So I'm very optimistic on that. As far as the big blind is concerned, I'm not as optimistic, Robbie. I'm, I'm not, I'm just not, I'm just being honest with you here on the, and being honest with the card chat community. I would love it if we could come back tomorrow and we have new ideas and perhaps ideas that would translate better to uh, a bigger audience. Mm. And I, I think that the potential is still there for us to create a game show that really will work. I'm just not sure the specific big blind future is there. Got it. It gave away all the fondue sets. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. That that bit, by the way, side note, side story. So John, and I love him to death. And again, he created the show. But he said, you know, when we have Norm MacDonald on, big guest for us, obviously, that was like the headliner sure. of our show. Let's do this bit with a the fondue set. And I'm like, okay, I don't really get this. But, you know, you're the boss. And so, it, you know, we had like a gag gift every episode. Yep. We have Norm MacDonald on. I said, Norm, you know, our, our gift today is this 1970s fondue set. And John's like, this is going to work. Norm is going to love this. And Norm just kind of sat there and he was like, oh. And so I'm just sitting there like holding this random fondue set. Uh, and and then said, Norm, you know, your thoughts. And Norm said something like, I would say, don't blame me for your bit. And they're like, oh, this is, this is, this is just a disaster. So uh, if we if we came back for season two, there would be no fondue set bits. Okay, well, if you could withstand the Greg Popovich five second stare, I think sure, you can handle sure, sure. Uh, a little ribbing from from good old Norm McDonald. I think so too. Um, to get serious, the, the one sort of serious question uh, that we all want to know, uh, but you know, just out of just pure respect for what it is that you do, I mean, even someone with tons of professional training and natural talent like you, Jeff doesn't just waltz into work and, and wait for the light to go on. There's obviously a good amount of prep work. Um, can you kind of tell us what the prep looks like for you and maybe describe how it's different for each of your roles, whether it's the podcast or the live stream or the break desk or that sort of thing? Sure. I, and I'm so glad you brought this up because I think preparation is the most important part of the process, at, at least for me in this broadcasting world. For play-by-play, -play, I, I really like to dive into specifics on, of course, our final six. So I'm keeping track of the main storylines of whatever series we have going on, but I really want the spotlight to be on these players, where they grew up, what their poker background is like, what their poker success or failures have been like in the past. So I'm looking up not just the results, not just their hand and mob, though that is a very vital part of this preparation process. But I'm also looking up stories. I'm trying to listen to podcast episodes. So Robbie, if you have Fedor Holtz 
on a card chat podcast. I will listen to that like I uh-huh. did to, to, to glean some, some nuggets that I can use on a broadcast. I'm just looking for anything and everything that we could apply to certain spots in broadcast. We, we had, you know, Sergi Rushat, for example, on the on the final table yesterday during the Poker Go Cup. Brent mm-hmm. and I talked to him beforehand. That's a key part of our preparation process. We learned that he was a big basketball fan. He mentioned something that was somewhat related. Boom, we were able to jump on it on the broadcast. Right. Uh, the, the, you know, I could tell that kind of story a million times, but that's just giving you a sense of, of what we do. It's just getting to know the players. It's talking with them before. It's looking into their results. It's looking into their stories. And that helps significantly. And that also translates really well to my sideline reporter role. The, the right. only way that preparation is different is because I'm formulating specific questions to ask them. I'm not just delivering their story, but I'm I'm interviewing them. I, I'm asking right. them, I say, well, what would I want to know as a poker fan? That's what goes into my preparation process there. And then as far as our break desk studio hosting segments are concerned, these are more big picture. You know, mm-hmm. let's zoom out. Let's take a look at, at what's going on in this series the race for the U.S. Poker Open Golden Eagle Trophy or the Poker Go Cup or what's going on in the World Series of Poker at this moment in time. So if I have a layout of all the results for past events, for who's doing what and who can do what and what the scenarios are like for somebody to jump in first place, that kind of sums up what I think the preparation should be like. But long story short, preparation is key. Preparation is vital. And without preparation, I would be absolutely screwed in this job, probably. (laughs) I'm so happy you went into such depth because, again, you know, like we call you know, the on-the-camera talent, again, we see just the final product at the sure. end of the day. And we, that's what we listen to. That's what we consume. But there really is so much iceberg underneath the surface, and they don't see that prep. So it's important they know, you know, what kind of effort goes into it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and uh, I think I think that the production staff deserves a lot of credit because they put together these bios for us. And I know you've been involved in the the bio building in the past, and that helps immensely. And then also our producers, you know, they're chatting with us the night before when we're getting down to a final table at midnight, one a.m. Mm-hmm. Hey, what do you guys think would work best for tomorrow, et cetera, et cetera? They're putting ideas into our head. So I think the entire production staff uh, just really is a great assist for us in Amazing. these broadcasts that we do. Very cool. And you did shout out Fedor. So that's episode number 40. Thank you for listening. Lob that one up for you. Lob that one up for (laughs) you. I appreciate it. Finally, before we get into the questions from our forum members, a little research nugget we unearthed is that you cannot decide which of the Rush Hour films is your favorite movie. So what do you like so much about the Rush Hour films? Well, I can tell you that it's not Rush Hour 3. I, I, <laughs> I saw Rush Hour 3. I was so excited. I mean, based on that premise, you know that Rush Hour 1 and Rush Hour 2 are my like my absolute favorite movies. I just love them. And Rush Hour 3, I think I just sat there in the theater for 10 to 15 minutes afterwards in a state of <laughs> state of despair, a uh, state of tremendous disappointment. So it's not, it, it's not Rush Hour 3. Listen, I just like to sit back and relax for an hour and a half or two hours and just laugh. And watching Chris Tucker on my screen, especially alongside Jackie Chan, I could just laugh for two straight hours. And it's, it's you know, your super cliche storyline, probably your super cliche comedy, but right. it just makes me laugh and, and I don't care. And everybody's like, oh, my favorite movie is, is The Godfather. It's so funny. <laughs> yeah, sure, it's great. But like Rush Hour, you know, I just I just sat there and just enjoyed every single moment of it for two straight hours. So that's what I love about, about the Rush Hour movies. Awesome, awesome. Right. And the bloopers at the end? 
and the bloopers at the end, the icing on the cake, the cherry on top of this wonderful Sunday that is Rush Hour. Absolutely love them. Excellent. All right. In this segment of the show, we turn to you guys, our Cards Chat community, to see what questions you wanted to ask our guests. We have a dedicated thread on the Cards Chat forums for this. So as we announce who our future guests are going to be, please be sure to send in your questions. So the first ones come from Shells. A whole battery of questions for you, Jeff. Nice. Shells, uh, do you Shells? miss covering sports? I really don't. I, I, and I'm not just saying that because this is a poker podcast, but I, I really don't. For me, for me personally, I, again, I found the perfect combination. I, I love broadcasting and I love poker. So to be able to merge those two passions into one job is, again, I said this at the beginning, created the dream job for me. So I don't miss sports. I, I enjoy sports, sure. Okay. And I'm still always watching basketball on the side, but I almost enjoy it more as a fan than a, than a broadcaster. Okay, cool. And the follow-up from Shells to that specific question, is there anything specific that you that you really don't miss about covering sports? Well, the, the whole Greg Popovich thing is certainly <laughs> something that stands out. You know, I, I think that, that poker players overall open up to you a little bit more. Mm. I think that you can glean a little bit more out of them in interviews. Professional athletes are so trained in this, and, and they give you so many cliche answers on rare occasions, you'll get the honest truth. But, Robbie, most of the time you'll get the, well, you know, we fought really hard out there tonight and, and the effort was there. So we'll just have to get him back tomorrow. And it's, mm. it's one game at a time. And you're like, OK, you know, I've heard that 350 times before. Right, right. But poker players and, and some just aren't used to interviews and, and they'll just be so forthcoming and be so open. And so I, I really enjoy that when we're comparing poker broadcasting, poker interviewing specifically and sports interviewing. Okay, nice, like good deep answer there. Um, Shells has one more sports related question for you. When you were covering the NBA team in Texas, what was the most memorable moment for you? You may have said it, it may be the Popovich thing, but maybe a positive memory that you had. Yeah, I was gonna say, the Popovich <laughs> moment is, you know, just engraved in, in my brain, most certainly. I, I, I think I think it was probably, the very first game that that I covered um, in San Antonio, when I was just standing up watching the players warm up, and when I was just standing there on the baseline and watching Tim Duncan and Monte Ginobili and Tony Parker warming up, I was like, "What? Well, you know, this is pretty cool. I mean, as a, as a diehard NBA fan throughout my life, as a big Mavs fan, so I'd hated those guys growing up, but I could still respect and appreciate them very much. And just to be uh, up close with the NBA for a couple of years was something something that I definitely cherish. So I, I just always do think back to that one moment standing there. Just again, it sounds really simple, just watching those players warm up. And, and then the other moment that stands out to me, Rami, and a, and a bit more so in the last year or so, and you'll see why, is when Kobe Bryant mm. came to San Antonio for his last game at the AT&T Center, they had a press conference with Kobe like they did in every stop that he had. This was basically his retirement tour. And I asked Kobe Bryant a question. And that was a cool moment for me. And I asked wow. him to describe the relationship that he had with Pop and how it, how that had developed over the years. And so it wasn't just asking Kobe Bryant a question and having him answer it. It was that, that Kobe looked directly at me, mm. that he nodded throughout my question, that he gave me such a great answer and kept looking back at me. It was like I was in the room wow. with Kobe Bryant and that's it. Like he just... He, he just treated everybody so well. Mm. 
and that that stands out in my mind and will always stand out in my mind. Amazing answer. Definitely my favorite player of all time. I'm sure a lot of yeah. folks uh, have that same feeling. Mm. Uh, and yeah, because I'm from L.A., but just what an amazing person beyond, uh, you know, being an amazing basketball player. R.I.P. Kobe. Um, switching from sports back to poker. Shells, another question here for you, Jeff. What is the most memorable moment in poker for you, whether as a player or broadcaster? I, I think as a player, I, I have to look back at the 2015 World Series of Poker main event where I somehow, some way, still not sure how it happened, made day six. And walking into the reel on day six with 70-ish players left, you start to think, you know what? <laughs> like, like, this could happen. And you hear the you're music, the, you know? Yeah, right, yeah. right. Oh, you hear the dramatic music and yep. you just get in the zone. And the cameras are following you as you're walking in. You get there and there are only six or seven tables left. And you start to think, I could really do this. And my best friend had flown in town. My dad was there. Uh, a couple of my really good friends from L.A. were there. It's just, it started to feel so real. And so that's what stands out to me as far as poker playing is concerned. For poker broadcasting, it was that opportunity where I got to fill in for Kara Scott last Ooh. year. And unfortunately she couldn't make it to the World Series of Poker main event, the, the makeshift main event that they had. Right. So Kara couldn't do it. Maria couldn't do it. You know, eventually Robbie, they're gonna get to me on their list. So they, they have a whole list of people. Everybody said no for whatever reason. And finally I, I got to do it. And to be standing there at the World Series of Poker main event, not the World Series of Poker main event, of course, but to still be on that set with the ESPN microphone, I thought, you know what, this this is pretty cool, and I, right. I certainly take pride in that accomplishment, even if I was 17th on their list of, right. of go-to sideline reporters for that moment. Well, you know what they say about the last pick in the NBA draft? What's that? At least they got drafted. At right? least they got drafted. There <laughs> we go, Robbie. Right? <laughs> there we go. What? Uh, two more questions from Shells, and then we've got uh, one more forum member who's got questions for you, Jeff. Um, what oh, a little bit more big picture here. What is the single best piece of advice you have ever received? Ooh, great question. Uh, I think two things stand out to me. Number one is just something that we mentioned earlier in this podcast, and that's be conversational as a broadcaster. Don't overwhelm the viewer. The viewer doesn't want to sit there and just be like, oh, he must have scripted this out and, you know, He's trying to sound like he knows so much or he's so smart. Just be conversational. Just be so relatable to the viewer. And then number two is just something that I've I've always taken from my dad and it comes in the form of, of work ethic. And it's just that, again, something that we covered, preparation is key. Mm. Preparation is, is absolutely vital to success in the majority of industries. Sure, could you get lucky? Could you walk into success? Yeah, but you know what? Also, you, you create your own luck and, and part of that comes comes from preparation. And so I've always taken that from him and, and seen him work really hard in, in the business world. And, and I've tried to to copy and, and to model that work ethic uh, in, in my profession. And so those aren't super specific pieces of advice, but I think they're very valuable pieces Excellent. of advice. It reminds me of that, I think the Seneca quote, I hope I'm not butchering it, butchering it. It's, uh, I think it's luck happens when preparation meets opportunity. Or yes, like yes, that, yes. Right? That's, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And, and I, I firmly believe that. Nice. Very cool. Uh, final question from Shells. Um, what is the greatest risk you have ever taken? It was moving out to Las Vegas. I mean, it was at the end of my career, uh, career at the end of my contract, 
mm. uh, in San Antonio. They said, hey, you want to stick around for a couple more years? Thought about it. said, you know what? Not really. I kind of wow. want to go for it. And I had kind of sort of been in touch with Dan Gotti and Mori Eskandani over at Pokerio. I'd come out and audition for them, but they did not say that they had anything lined up for me. And I said, you know what? This is the time. Let's just go for it. And I got in touch with Sarah and Dan and Maury gave me some opportunities. Unfortunately, everything worked out for me. But when I moved to Vegas, Robbie, I really had, I had nothing on wow. the horizon. I had nothing set in stone. I had nothing planned and I, I just kind of went for it. So that that's the biggest risk that I've taken in my life by, by a country mile. My goodness. I did not realize that such a set, you know, sort of innocuous question would uh, yeah. yield such an amazing answer. Wow. That's uh, I did not know that. That's, that's very cool. A lot of poker folks, they say, you know, players, they say, well, you know, you know, saddle up, move to, you know, go to Vegas and then yeah. just hit the tables. It's a little different when you're, you know, looking for conventional work. <laughs> it's, it's not so, it's not so simple. Right. There's no question about that, especially when, when you don't know like what the schedule is like. You don't know if there are going to be any even opportunities. Like right. I thought Dan and Maury might have really liked my audition, but they just have nothing going on. There's just right. nothing where I fit in. But I, I said, you know, this is the time. If it doesn't work out, who cares? You go back to sports reporting. Right. Take this take this shot. You know, this is super corny, super cliche, but it applies. You will miss 100 percent of the shots that you do not take. Correct. So. Let's go for it. And, I, okay. and I'm so happy that I did. Okay. Well, speaking of go for it, if you have listened to this show before, Jeff, maybe you've heard of Acid Burn FX. Oh, boy. Yeah. Here we so go. We've saved the, the <laughs> he knows what to expect here. All right. We got a couple of them from left field, but you know, credit to him or her. We don't know, <laughs> but yeah. uh, definitely some, some incredible questions. Okay. Here we go. Two questions. And then we end off, Jeff. If you could live the next 24 hours, and then erase it and start over just once, what would you do? <laughs> where, does, where does he or she come up with all of this? It's amazing. All right, it read it to me one more time, Robbie. Okay. Sorry, let me let me if, really hone in on this. If you could live the next 24 hours and then mm. erase it and start over just once, what would you do? It's, it's it, God, it's such an amazing question, a thought-provoking question at the that. The Groundhog Day kind of question. 24 hours, I think I would... I think I would uh, jump into this Poker Go Cup event just as a player. This is just immediately what comes to mind. I'd be like, you know what, Dan and Maury, I'm not going to do broadcasting today. I'm going to fire off in this 10K Poker Go Cup event just to get the feeling of what it's like to play at the Poker Go studio in one okay. of these uh, televised high roller series. I'm keeping that very, very poker specific, which is probably not what Acid Burn, whatever okay. his or her name is, is looking for. But I, that's just that's just what jumped out to me like if I had a free day and all the money in the world and I could, you know, go back and then erase it, right. I'd probably just jump in the mix and be like, you know what, Stephen Chidwick, Jason Kuhn, Aliam Shurovich, Daniel Negreanu, bring it on. Let's go. I like it. Great answer. Great answer. All right. Last one. If you were forced to eliminate every physical possession from your life, oh, with no. the exception of what could fit into a single backpack, what would you put in it? I mean, my dog's pretty small. <laughs> you know, I, think, I, think, I think I would have to. I think I would have to shout go with Buddy. buddy. Uh, yeah, shout out to Buddy. I think I would have to go with Buddy. I mean, he Aww. would throw an absolute fit, Robbie, being stuck in a backpack. But if it, you know, I think he qualifies as a physical possession. So I would have to take him. Maybe I could cram the laptop in there, which would make Buddy even more uncomfortable. But yeah, uh, it, it would. It would certainly be my dog. 
Okay. Not not the answer I expected, but certainly one that shows uh, what's near and dear to you, right, Jeff. Right. Like, well, you fielded those questions just fine. Uh, thank you, everyone, who sent in questions to Jeff Platt. Again, a friendly reminder to all of you out there in the Cards Chat community that we'd love to see you submit your questions for our future podcast guests in the dedicated thread on the forums. Please be sure to give us a good review on iTunes and spread the word via your social media channels if you liked the show. Jeff, before we let you go, anything else you'd like to tell people watching or listening? Well, I mean, you know, if they want to follow me on Twitter at Jeff Platt or on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Jeff Platt, or follow us on Poker Go or watch our events or subscribe to No Gamble, No Future on YouTube. Nope, I don't I don't have anything, Robbie. Sorry, okay. I don't have anything. Okay, yeah, just nope. wanted to make so sure. Just absolutely nothing, but thank you for asking. You got it. All right. And, and shout out to you also. It is the... Uh, you know, we started this interview at 7.30 a.m. Las Vegas time. So thanks for being up and at them and spry. No one could tell. This is like your middle of the day, end of <laughs> night voice. It's all the same when you get Jeff Platt. So, hey, man, we're just we're just two friends talking poker. And I, I always enjoy the time. So I thank you for that, Robbie. Likewise. Thank you very much, Jeff. Thank you all for tuning in to another episode of Cards Chat. I'm Robbie Straczynski. You can follow me on Twitter at Card Player Life. I wish you all a wonderful day. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.